Hello there, briefing listeners. Tom here. Hope you're well. Um, just want to bring you another episode of the Science Briefing, which is a brand new podcast from uh, Listener, which is where the briefing I'm a part of comes from. Um, everyone's super excited about this new podcast, including me. And we played you an episode last week. So here's another one in the briefing feed for you to get a taste of it. Uh, it's hosted by Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and it's in conjunction with the Cosmos magazine. So a great team of young scientists bring you all the biggest stories and the latest research in science, technology, climate, physics, artificial intelligence, and more. So each Sunday, we're going to put uh, an episode of the Science Briefing into the briefing feed for you guys to check out, and hopefully um, you'll like it and become regular listeners. This episode looks at new research about a very important river system. Political promises and water buybacks how to stop the Murray-Darling Basin from running dry. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. The Murray-Darling Basin is an environmental landmark in Australia. It's a sprawling web of rivers and catchments spanning five states and territories. A huge number of people rely on the basin, namely farmers and industry, but wildlife needs it too with hundreds of species calling the basin home. The basin has faced a series of challenges over the years, and last week, it was back in the headlines. A new report dropped saying the basin will likely fail to reach a major environmental target. Today, you'll learn what this target is and how even with unlimited time and money, would still be way off reaching it. Okay, Matt, so a report on the Murray-Darling Basin has just been released. Can you sort of paint a bit of a picture of the weeks leading up to this report being dropped? Yeah, so this is a long-awaited report on the Murray-Darling Basin that's been hidden away since before the most recent federal election in May. Matthew Aegis is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. The report came out last Tuesday, but in the lead-up to it being released, there were a number of vocal critics calling out the previous government's performance in the management of the basin, one of them being the new Minister for the Environment and Water, Tanya Plibersek. In the two months that I've been the Environment Minister, Order. I have done uh, as much in two months as those opposite have delivered in almost a decade. <laughs> I'll be meeting... Now, the minister was critical of the previous government, in particular for not following through on a certain promise for the basin. We've got some members, including the leader of the Nationals, who don't support this. We've got the shadow minister for water saying she doesn't support. Senator McKenzie says that she doesn't support it. Never meant to, never wanted to, never would have. I want to get into exactly what the minister is calling the previous government out for, but first, give us a bit of context to these comments, Matt. I mean, this report that's just come out on the Murray-Darling Basin, why is it such a big deal? So this report is an independent review of a specific part of the Murray-Darling Basin plan. And if you're not familiar with this plan, the thing to know is that over the years, at times, it's been a big point of contention. This plan oversees the biggest drainage basin in the country, the Murray-Darling Basin. 
A huge number of people, namely farmers and industry, rely on the basin for agricultural practices. And also one in 10 Australians live within the basin. So from the outset, the plan has a big task. It tries to balance keeping the basin alive and healthy with farmers and industry who use and extract water from it. So this is a huge and delicate balance. And coming back to this review, it had an environmental focus and was looking at a very key environmental measure in the plan. Basically, the headline here is that this report is pretty pointed. It says that the environmental measure is nowhere near where it's supposed to be or anywhere near what it's supposed to have done so far. Basically, it says this measure will not be achieved under the current program settings. Wow. Okay. So that's a very clear message from this report. What is this key environmental measure the report is looking at? So this report was reviewing something called the Water for the Environment Special Account. This is an account in the plan that funds specific water recovery programs. So these are infrastructure programs that help put water back into the Murray-Darling Basin river systems. This is important when it comes to the Murray-Darling Basin because over the years, a lot of water has been extracted from the basin, mainly by farmers to grow crops and for livestock grazing. This isn't illegal, by the way. Irrigators have legal entitlements to water use that allows them to do this. But obviously, water is a finite resource. And with more and more extraction, as well as other environmental issues like global warming and drought, the situation in the basin has deteriorated. So as a way to address this, the government sets water recovery targets as part of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. Okay, so tell us a bit about these targets. So there is an overall target for water recovery within the basin. It's currently 2,075 gigalitres per year. But within that are many other smaller targets on how much water should be recovered and limits on how much water can be taken. But I want to focus on the one that this review is looking at. So this is a water recovery target of 450 gigalitres of water. That's 450 billion litres to go back into the environment by 2024. And the idea here is that 450 gigalitres being recovered back into the system is vital to South Australia in particular. The idea is that this additional water would help conserve river health in South Australia. The federal government promised that it would achieve this through what it calls efficiency measures, which is just a fancy name of certain projects and programs that are put in place to make this happen. The actual program in place at the moment is the off-farm efficiency program and it's the efficiency measures in this program that this report is calling out. Oh, okay. So why is it calling out these efficiency measures? Well, what it found was that these measures have us nowhere near that 450 gigalitre target. So far, only 2.6 billion litres has been recovered out of the 450 billion target. So this is less than 1% of the target being reached. Also, this plan started eight years ago and it's a 10-year plan. So this is where we're at 80% of the way. We're nearly done, which is a huge underperformance. Yeah, wow. This is what politicians like the Environment and Water Minister Tanya Plibersek were calling out. She was particularly scathing of the previous federal government for allowing this to happen. I'm curious about whether those opposite support this. I know the Honourable Member doesn't support it. He's already tweeted saying that he doesn't support it. 
The report also highlighted some issues when it comes to funding through the special account. For one, the amount of money allocated to the account wasn't enough. It was given just under $2 billion. And the report said the special account would need at least two to seven times that amount to be successful. And secondly, the funding it does have is largely unspent by the federal government. The report also calls out a major structural issue. It says even if you scrapped the 2024 deadline and you had unlimited time and unlimited money, this 450 gigalitre target isn't even technically possible. At most, 330 gigalitres could be recovered through the entire program's life, so falling short by 120 gigalitres of the set target. So now this whole program is being called into question and it has reignited an old debate about what the alternatives to the current system might be. Okay, so these efficiency measures the government has adopted aren't delivering water back to the areas that need it. What's the alternative here? Well, the main alternative here isn't actually anything new. It's something that's been part of the Murray-Darling Basin conversation for a while, and this is something called water buybacks. So basically in this case, a water buyback is where the government buys a water entitlement from someone who owns an entitlement. In this case, it refers to buying water from irrigators in the basin. These buybacks were brought in by the Rudd government in 2008 and were used for a while, both by the coalition and Labor, as an open process. And they were then retired by the Abbott government in 2015, and the government then brought in a different system favouring things like subsidies and closed tender processes. And then after all of that, buybacks were scrapped under the Morrison government after the 2019 election. Okay, so buybacks were in, then they were out, then gone altogether... What was the response to this? There was criticism when this all happened. So under the closed tender system, you had economic experts calling it out, saying it lacked transparency on public spending. And a number of environmental scientists put their name to something called the Murray Declaration, which wanted the system itself to be halted. The replacement of buybacks with these current efficiency measures has also been criticised by these groups for being insufficient to get water back into the system. Now, there's a view to bring back open tender buybacks, arguing it's a much better system, both for farmers and for the environment. Why are water buybacks seen as a better system? Basically, they're seen as a cheaper and easier way to get water back into the environment. In 2020, the Australian Bureau of Agricultural and Resource Economics and Sciences released a report, and that report found that buybacks were the simplest and least expensive means of recovering water for the environment. It also found that programs like these current efficiency targets actually push water prices back up. One of the people I spoke to for this story is Dr David Adamson from the University of Adelaide. He was commissioned to work on the original Murray-Darling Basin Plan and he says buybacks are the best way to both obtain water for the basin but also to give farmers greater power to decide on how they want to move forward with their business. That was incredibly popular, incredibly well supported by the farmers. They knew what was happening. They had the conscious choice. They used that money to transform their farming systems. It gave them great flexibility. Now, that's not to say all farmers supported this, but Adamson says, generally, water buybacks were a more popular option. Right. So water buybacks have previously been supported by environmental advocates and some farmers. How likely is it this system will be reintroduced? 
Well, the current government has consistently said that voluntary water buybacks could be a solution, and they've said that this is something that is back on the table. Okay. The Water and Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, said that she had not given up hope on other projects to meet the 2024 deadline. And when questioned if water buybacks were the only way to get us to the 450 gigalitre goal, she said nothing's off the table. For the 450 additional gigalitres of water that's supposed to be released to the environment, I'm looking at every option. Every option is on the table to get to that. Also, the projects under the current off-farm efficiency program will continue. But the new government is set to review these and Plibersec will meet with state and territory water ministers in the coming weeks. So at this point, we don't have 100% certainty that voluntary buybacks are going to come back. And as with any policy change, it requires legislative considerations and stakeholder consultation. So it could be some time before we see a change here. But this is certainly something that is supported by environmental science and economics experts. Matt, we've spent a lot of this episode talking about programs and targets. And I mean, while obviously having a plan that manages the interests of everybody is hugely important, at the end of the day, the Murray-Darling Basin is a huge environmental landmark of Australia. Yeah. And it is really easy to get caught up in this farmers and industry versus the environment narrative. And the interests of farmers and people who rely on the basin to survive is a critical part of the conversation. But I do also think it's worth removing ourselves from the picture for a second. Mm -hmm. And when I say ourselves, I mean humans. And considering what else is affected by something like the Murray-Darling Basin Plan not doing what it's supposed to do. The Murray-Darling Basin is home to nearly 100 different kinds of birds some of which are migratory birds that fly there to visit wetland nesting grounds. There's 30 different species of frog. There's 100 types of lizards, freshwater turtles, fish that all live in and around the Murray-Darling Basin. And as you've said, Sophie, the basin is an interconnected ecosystem. So if there's poor health in one part of the basin, that can have flow-on effects to other parts. We've already seen water extraction over the years leading to things like sensitive river wetlands and gum forests coming under stress from lack of water and increased salinity. And this has devastating consequences for species in those parts of the basin. Ultimately, it can impact us as well. So yeah, it's a very tricky issue and will always be a delicate balance. But that speaks to why programs like water recovery are critical to get this right. This 450 gigalitre target was introduced for a reason and, if done properly, can make a very tangible difference. So there's a real opportunity here for the current government to not only address what's gone wrong so far with these efficiency measures, but to address problems with water management and distribution in the Murray-Darling more broadly. But it's really a case of political will to step up and do the right thing, not just for farmers, but for the future of the Murray-Darling Basin as a whole. Matthew Aegis is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. You can read more of Matt's reporting at cosmosmagazine.com, including the article this episode was based on. That article is called, Want Water for the Murray-Darling Basin? Don't Ask a Zombie. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. Additional audio from Sky News and the Australian Labor Party. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. 
Mixing by Dave Stein. Our executive producer is Melanie Withnell. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time. All right, that was another episode of the Science Briefing, all the latest big stories in science brought to you by the team at Cosmos Magazine. Um, If you like it, hit subscribe and become a regular listener, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or you're listening on the listener app, hit subscribe and strap in for the ride.